You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I thank God for our praise team and what they do and the time that they spend preparing and getting everything ready. Revelation chapter 19 verse 3 it says this and again they shouted hallelujah Revelation chapter 19 verse 3 and in verse 4 it says again and they cried amen hallelujah And today we've been talking about, or the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to live like a believer, second coming living. If Christ is getting ready to come and to call His church home, then what kind of people ought we to be? What should identify who we are? What characteristics? What traits? And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at purity, this thing of holiness, being a holy people, a pure people, like a bride who is coming down the aisle to meet her groom, that Christ calls us as the bride of Christ to be a pure and a holy bride. And also we looked at this thing of passion. And these are the qualities sometimes as a believer that we can lose in our life. We can lose that purity. We can lose that passion. We can begin to compromise those characteristics, those traits in our life for expediency so that we don't stand out, so that we're not made fun of, so that people do not ridicule us, so that we're not ostracized, so that we're not alienated. We want to fit in. We want to fit in with the world. We don't want to stand out. But if we're going to be the bride of Christ prepared and one day standing before Him and shouting amen and hallelujah, then my friend, we have to incorporate into our lives those qualities that those New Testament believers had. And so that's why we're here today. We've been looking at purity. We've been looking at passion. Now today we look at perseverance. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that You love us. We thank You that You care about us, that You know our needs. And Father, we pray right now that, dear Lord, our hearts are sensitive to the power of Your Holy Spirit. That, dear Lord, You speak to us today in such a way that there can be no mistaking that God has spoken. Father, we ask You to cleanse our hearts, to purify our minds, to reach into the depths of our soul and clean up those areas that have become become polluted with the world. And Father, may we be a holy people, set apart, like a bride that's dressed in a beautiful white gown, her veil across her face, that veil stretching down that aisle, her feet clean and pure, her body unsoiled. And those garments are representative of the life that she's held for that one person. Father, may we purify our lives. May we be passionate. May we persevere so that one day when we stand before our groom, Jesus, 
that we can be adorned in the white robes of the grace and the mercy that God has given us. But may we not soil those garments with ungodly living. So Lord, speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I told you uh, about three weeks ago I had an opportunity to talk to a soldier, a military man. He was a, he was a special forces, he's a full-time military, and uh, he had gone through some trials and some struggles in his life, and he was asking me, why is it so difficult to be a believer, a Christian today? Why has this Christian thing become so hard? And I looked at him and I made the statement, I said, you know, I said, if you think about it, I said, that uniform that you wear, that insignia, and he had a lot of rank. I said, that rank, that insignia, those decorations, all of the things about your uniform bring you respect and admiration in this country. They bring you such respect and admiration that I've been in places where when someone had a uniform on, somebody would come over and pick up the tab and pay their bill. I've seen people walk over to strangers dressed in a uniform and thank them for what they do. But I looked at this man and I said, but imagine with that same uniform, that insignia and all of those things, imagine that rank and all the things that bring you respect and admiration take you in that uniform and put you in Pakistan, put you in Afghanistan, put you in Iraq, and all of a sudden what brings you recognition here, what brings you respect, there would identify you as an enemy. Now everyone stay with me. The uniform that you and I wear, this Christian uniform, this holiness, this purity, this passion, today what we'll be talking about, this perseverance, all of that identifies us within the body of believers and in a Christian environment, it identifies us in a positive way. People treat us with respect. Fifty years ago in this country, if you were a businessman, you were a man that you joined the First Baptist Church, you tried to live a good life, you lived morally and ethically as pure as you could because you knew that it brought respect, it brought admiration. But my friend, we're living in a post-Christian nation. And what once brought respect no longer does that. It may make you a target for the enemy. And so we've been looking at this thing of what identifies us as a Christian, second coming living. And I made this statement that I often what the problem is, if you put, and I looked at this man, I said, sir, your uniform, your rank, your insignia, those medals, all the things that would identify and give you respect here, if we put you in Pakistan or Afghanistan, would immediately put a bullseye on your head and make you a target of the enemy. So the temptation is when we are in enemy territory to take those robes off, to take, that, to take that uniform off, to remove that insignia, to take those things away because we do not want to suffer. But the reality is, is that we can't do that. We can't compromise. 
We cannot remove the uniform. We can't compromise convictions and principles. What identifies you and I as believers today, stay with me, is your purity and my purity, your holiness, my, pure, my holiness. And there's a world out there today that is unholy and that will tell you to don't, don't take it so far or they'll call you a holy roller or they'll call you a fanatic. Has it ever occurred to you that a bunch of fat men can be standing up in the middle of Green Bay in zero degree temperature painted green with yellow letters on their, on, their, on, their, on their chest and they can be looked at and admired and applauded and the camera goes straight to them and makes a hero out of them as they're standing like a bunch of idiots in a ball event. But when the kicker kicks the extra point and the one lone figure stands up and holds a John 3.16, they call him a fanatic, an idiot. He's crazy. My friend, that's where our country has evolved. That's where we are today. Your purity, your holiness, you cannot compromise that. Your passion, as we saw a couple of weeks last week, your passion, your enthusiasm, your zeal, your love for the things of God cannot tone down. People may be looking at you and saying, just ease up a little bit. Well, my friend Jesus in John 2, 17, it said when He cleansed the temple and he took, he took tables that weighed more than that grand piano and He flipped them over and He drove people out of the temple, the Bible says that the disciples said the zeal for the house of God is eating Him up. And we need that and we don't want to lose that. But today we're looking at perseverance. Perseverance. What is this quality in the life of a believer? What does it mean? And are we in danger today in many of our lives of losing it? Years ago, there was a man by the name of Paul Anderson. Paul Anderson was considered to be the strongest man in the world. He was a little short, stocky man. If I remember in the Guinness Book of World Records at that time, he had picked up 5,200 plus pounds, if I remember, over 5,000 pounds. This man was unbelievable. He was like a machine. Paul Anderson would go speak at, at schools, high schools, and junior high schools everywhere, even elementary schools. But he loved high schools. And he would go to these high schools, and he had a big, massive oak table. It was a solid oak table. And, and this table, in and of itself, weighed a great deal of... Uh, it, it was very, very heavy. And, and, and Paul Anderson would go and he would get up under that. He would get the kids, gather around. He would ask the teachers, come and try to pick up the table. Nobody could pick up the table. Paul Anderson, this little short squatty man, would come and he would get under that table and he would lift it up. And then he'd set it down. And then he'd look out at that crowd and he'd say to the children, he said, I want as many of you children and as many of you teachers as you want. He said, I want all of you to come and pile up on this table. And so you could see all these kids, they were clamoring and they were coming and the teachers were trying to bring them down and they'd set them and arrange them on that, on that oak table and they'd put what a, a reasonable amount of children and then you'd see this little squatty man, the strongest man in the world, he'd come back up onto that table and he'd lift it up again. And he'd set it down. He'd say, that's not enough. Go get some more kids. And finally, children would be wrapped with their legs dangling all around the edge. They'd be, it would look like a hayride. And the table would not have one space on it. 
And a little squatty man would come up under and he'd get up under that oak table and you'd see the muscles and the strain and the stress and those veins begin to pop out of his neck and he would finally begin to lift that table up. That is the biblical picture of endurance, of perseverance, that ability to stand under a heavy load And it is a quality that identifies you and I as believers. And stay with me. It is a quality that the enemy cannot stand. You see, the enemy wants you. If you think about yourself like that picture, this is you and I going through life. And and you and I know that always there's trials, there's suffering, there's things that come and pile up on our lives, and the enemy wants you and I to collapse. the, The enemy wants you and I to fold, to give up, or worse, to give in. And so this is the picture of the enemy. The enemy wants to put so much on you and I that we are overwhelmed to the degree that we begin to collapse under the load and we forget that God is in control. You know, we need to remember Satan's job assignment. In John 10, 10, it says he comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. I told you when Adrian Rogers had an opportunity to sit, the great pastor who's since gone to be with the Lord, who got to sit with Corey Ten Boom one day. He said Corey Ten Boom looked at him, and the first thing out of Corey Ten Boom's mouth was, you know, Dr. Rogers, there's no panic in heaven. There is no panic in heaven, only plans. In fact, it would be good to turn to each other and say, there's no panic in heaven. Do that right now. Look at somebody and say, there is no panic in heaven. Now everyone look this way. What I'm saying is this. There is never a moment in heaven when your guardian angels go running into the throne room and go, oh God, you'll never believe what happened. Just about the time you stepped out of the throne room, we were busy and oh so and so, they got into a financial dilemma and this happened and that happened or their marriage fell apart or they're in a bad relationship or they're having problems parenting or they're about to lose their job and God goes, oh no, what will we do? There is no panic in heaven. Only plans. So I want you to take your Bible from Revelations and take a left. And go to the book of James. Just go back. You won't have to go far. The book of James, right before before 1 Peter, right after Hebrews. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I want you to see this. Because this is a quality that God wants to build into your life and into my life. This is how God gets you and I into shape. In James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4, watch what James says. In the NIV, the New International Version, it says, Consider it pure joy. In the King James, I think it says, Count it all joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. There it is. 
The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking nothing. Hear me. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Even in the midst of suffering, even when things are going wrong in your life. Now everyone look this way. The Bible doesn't say if you fall into various trials. In the King James, the Bible says when you fall into various trials. Listen, it's not a matter of if you will ever suffer. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. In the midst of that suffering, whatever it may be, God has a plan even in that. And the problem is in your life and in my life, we forget that. We forget God has a plan. We begin to despair. We begin to feel like nobody's in control. No one's in control. There's no hope for me. My friend, that's the voice of the enemy. We had a man this past week sitting out here in the hallway of our church. And he began to talk about a TV minister that he was listening to. Or something that he got on on the internet. And he was just, man, he sounded like a doomsday forecaster out there. I mean, everything was negative. Everything was bad. And finally he looked at me and said, he said, well, let me ask you something. Aren't you worried? I said, absolutely not. I'm not worried. I serve a sovereign God who's in control. My eyes are not on this world, not on His governments. My eyes are on a sovereign God. Why? Because there's no, plan. There's no panic in heaven. There's just plans. Now what does that mean? Look again at James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. God's plan in your life. Now everyone look this way for a moment. God's plan in your life and in my life is to spiritually get us into shape, which means God is trying to build in our lives this thing of perseverance. Okay, now again remember that picture. The picture in the Greek of perseverance is the ability of me to be able to stand up under a heavy load and not to collapse. Let me give you an example. Um, and I was telling the college students this. And if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and you're not walking with the Lord, you're not going to understand this at all. You're going to say, I'm a fanatic, I'm a nut. You're not going to believe me and that doesn't make a dime's worth of difference to me. I could care less. But two or three months ago, whenever it was, God woke me up out of a dead sleep at about 2 o'clock in the morning. God said, pray for Tim Tebow. Dead sleep. Two o'clock in the morning, pray for Tim Tebow. I got in. If I remember, I got on my knees by the bed and I began to pray. I didn't even hardly know who Tim Tebow was. I knew that he, in collegiate football, was a young man that was standing for the cause of Christ in a way I hadn't seen in a long time out of any sports figure anywhere. So I prayed for him. That Saturday when I was watching Florida play ball, I watched him get waxed. I don't even know if I was watching the game. I watched the highlight afterwards. I watched him get waxed. I mean, knocked out cold. He, they carried him off to the side, and before long, he was throwing up. And I said, used to be a paramedic. I said, he's got a concussion.
This week I've been praying for Tim Tebow. And you can believe this if you want. If I was a betting man, I'd have bet everything on it. I knew he was going to lose. I knew it. I tried to pray for him all week. I said, God, I reasoned with God. I said, God, I said, this man, this young man, this, this country, they love winners. They listen to winners. God, he can just do one. This can be something else that will just... And man, I was just pleading with God. But in my heart, you know what God kept saying to me? He's going to lose. And yesterday, I didn't watch the game. I got on my knees one time and prayed. And God said, get up. He's going to lose. And I'm trying to build something in Tim Tebow other than what you're thinking about right now. I'm trying to demonstrate character even in the face of defeat. My friend, the world doesn't care. The world could care less when you and I are sharing our testimony when everything's going great. But you get us under a load. You get us with the weight of suffering and things begin to go wrong in our life and everything is collapsing all around us and they see us still standing, persevering, hanging on to our faith, not denying and turning away, not getting bitter, not turning against God. They are drawn because this is a quality that is a part of our testimony. This is what God is doing. Why is perseverance so important? Look at verse 4 in, in James chapter 1. He says perseverance, watch this, in the NIV says must finish its work so that you may be what? So that you and I may be mature. We have teachers in this room. These teachers are responsible for taking young lives and developing them into mature, functional adults. God is in the same business. He is taking young new believers and He's developing them into mature, complete men and women of God. Listen to what one writer here, classic, classic linguistic tool, made this statement. It said here James continues the Old Testament idea of perfection as a right relationship with God, listen to this, expressed in undivided obedience and unblemished and an unblemished life. It was used of the sacrificial animals. He said this, obedience and purity. God is in the business of conforming you and I into the image of His Son. Hagias is the word, the Greek word for holy. Hagiasmos is the Greek word for sanctification. God is in the process of making, conforming you and I into the image of His Son. And listen to me, if He can do it better with Tim Tebow weeping on his knees after a game in which he's lost the national title or an, or an attempt to have that, then listen, God says that's the best way, that's the right way, and that's the way I'm going to do it. The world doesn't care when we're winning. The world wants to see our reaction when we're losing. And when life goes wrong, because why? Because the quality of this believer who is standing under the suffering and the pain of life is a picture to the lost world that this thing called Jesus Christ is real. How does God develop it? Look what James says in 2 and 3. 
In verse 2 he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face the trials of many kinds, when you face those trials because you know that the testing of your faith will develop perseverance. How does God develop this thing of perseverance? Like an athlete. Hear me, hear me. He does it through the trials and the sufferings and the battles that you and I go through in life. He's not tempting us. He's testing us. He's not doing it to break us. He's doing it to strengthen us. He's not doing it to tear us down. He's doing it to build us up. What is he trying to develop? What is the muscle? The muscle is your faith. You see, your faith, I like what one writer said, your faith is like a precious metal in the furnace of adversity where impurities in your faith and in my faith are burned away. Do you know that when a goldsmith years ago, when a goldsmith was purifying gold, he would heat it up, he'd get it hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. He'd have an old iron kettle maybe full of gold or back years ago the way they would do it. And that gold, and probably still the way they do it today, and it would get hotter and hotter. And those, listen to this, those impurities in that gold would come to the surface and when they did, they would ignite, burn, and burn away. They said that years ago that the way the goldsmith could tell when the gold no longer had impurities, when it was, when it was refined and its purest point was, listen to this, when the goldsmith could see the reflection of his face in the gold. My friend, in the trials and the sufferings and the difficulties and the health and the finances and the marriage and the parenting and all of the struggles that we go through life, has it ever occurred to us that God is not only building perseverance, He is conforming us into the image of His Son. The Bible never talks about Jesus laughing, but it talks often about Him weeping. Tim Tebow may have been, may have gave his greatest testimony on his knees on the sideline, weeping like a baby. Far more, far more than he would have had he won. Hear me. God is using those trials and those difficulties in your life and in my life in order to conform us into his son. And I will tell you this, I'm 54 years old. I've been in the ministry about 30 years. I've been a chaplain in the army, a missionary in England, a missionary in Zimbabwe. I've been literally all over the world. I'm telling you without no apology whatsoever that the greatest men and women in any body of believers are always those men and women who have suffered the most. And I'm like you, I want to say to God, God, is there a better way to do it? And God says, no, there's not. And it's a quality that the enemy cannot stand. Now I want to say this, and I really don't have time, but I want to say there's something that can destroy perseverance. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Well, let's turn there real quickly. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. I want you to see this. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul says something. In fact, teachers listen to this. Because I believe at this point Paul is talking like a teacher. 
In Galatians chapter 6, just take a left. It's right before the book of Ephesians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Paul says this. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do you see that? Paul said, let us not become weary. Let us not grow weary. You see, it's not something that happens immediately. It's something that can happen gradually. And the word here means to loosen up, to relax, to grow faint, to become exhausted, and we begin to just want to throw in the towel and give up. And Paul said, listen, don't do that. I wrote down here in my notes. I think that a lot of times our problem is we have the law of returns. As teachers, this doesn't work, and as preachers, this doesn't work. This may work at Nissan. This may work at Nissan where they can increase in production line and produce more. But it doesn't work in teaching and it doesn't work in ministry. Because sometimes we're sowing seed that we're going to see years later come to fruitation. You know, I thought often... I thought often the people who taught me. I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was born in 1955. I came through the 19, late 1960s in, uh, you know, integration. I came through the 1970s. I played football when black and white players first came together. I can remember. Let me, let me say something here. God is my witness. My two favorite teachers, Mrs. Lee. Mrs. Lee was my ninth grade English teacher. I, listen, I was the class clown. I cut up, I joked around, I was never serious, I didn't take schoolwork serious, I never took school, I never took books home, I, you know, none of that. And I can remember Miss Lee, one day I walked into that ninth grade English class and Miss Lee had a desk by her desk. You know, you're trying to be cool when you're in the ninth grade. And Miss Lee, this African-American teacher, sweet little black precious teacher that I had, she said, Jeff, she said, congratulations, you're at the front of the class. <laughs> and for the rest of the year, me and Miss Lee were sitting there looking out at all the rest of the students. She had me right there. Now, she made this statement. She said, you know, she told me one day, she put him off the side. She said, I, you know, because it was embarrassing to me. She said, Jeff, she said, I love you. And she said, you know what I'm going to do with your desk when you leave here? I said, what? She said, I'm going to retire it. <laughs> like an athlete retiring the number. She said, I'm going to retire your desk. And I thought she meant it kind of like she was kind of taking a jab at me a little bit, but she was such a sweet woman, I didn't believe that really. She said, because one day, you're going to be used mightily. God's going to do something in your life. I've preached in many places in Africa. I've preached in many places in England. I've preached at the largest military base. I've preached in Mississippi Baptist Convention. I've preached in revivals. I've preached in a lot of places, spoken in a lot of places. I've spoken in schools all over the world. I thought often of Mrs. Lee. I know sometimes she got frustrated with me. I know sometimes she wanted to pull her hair out. 
There were times she'd say, Jeff, just go outside. Just go out, go, go out in the hall. Go out in the hall. No, I don't want to hear it. Go out in the hall. But I can tell you this much. I believe there'll be a special place in heaven for that African-American ninth grade English teacher because she believed in me and she loved me and she did not grow weary in well-doing for she would reap and I would reap if we faint not. Hear me and I'll close with this. Why does the enemy hate this thing of perseverance so much? This is your testimony. This is your witness. This is a quality that causes a lost world to look at you and I and take notice. But there's one more thing. Real quickly, I want you to see it. Look, go back to James chapter 1, verse 12. See this. I promise you we won't be alone. Watch this. James chapter 1, verse 12. This is why the enemy hates it so much. And hear me. Everyone look this way. Just stop what you're doing. This is why the enemy wants to break you. Look at James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Now, everyone look this way. What he's saying is, is this. He's saying, blessed is the man or the woman who doesn't collapse, doesn't fold, doesn't walk away from the faith. They don't get angry at God. They don't get bitter. Blessed is the man or the woman who perseveres, and the picture is, who continues to stand under the weight and the suffering of life. Now watch what he says. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive what? The crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That word there is, is, uh, is the word they would use for a metal that had been tested in fire and had been proven, it had been approved and they had stamped it on the bottom to say that it had passed the test. This is the man or woman who cuts off the computer. They turn off the channel. They walk away from a flirt. They put down the book. They turn their head. They tell the truth even when it costs them their job. They take a stand. They do not retaliate. They love their enemy. They pray for their enemy. They do the right thing. They obey the Word of God. They are a man or a woman who is a man of integrity. And because of that, God says they passed the test. Why does the enemy hate this quality so much? Because we will receive the crown of life. Paul spoke of it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-5. through 5. But I want you to stand now. And I want you to take your Bible, stand, go ahead and stand. And I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 4, verses 1-11. through 11. I'm going to ask Jeffrey to come. The word is... Where's Stephanie? The word is Stephanos. The word is crown. It's where your name comes from. I believe. It's not talking about salvation here. Okay, all my, all my get-byers look this way. Everybody, all the get buyers, I want your attention for it. You know what a get buyer is? From here on, this don't mean anything to them. Just give me a broom closet and a backside of glory. Just, just, just get me in the gate. Just let me get by. So I'm, I'm not talking to the get buyers. I'm talking to people who are committed to Christ, 
who are wanting to stand boldly one day in heaven and have something to give back. That's right, you're going to have something to give back. Stay with me. Look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, 1 through 11. John said, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven and with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and sardis, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white. They had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashings of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were clothed with eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like an ox. The third like the face of a man. The fourth was like that of a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all over. Even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him, for him, before him who sits on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy our Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. Now flip to your Bible to Revelation 19. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After this, John said, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, and they were shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgment. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged her for the blood of His servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried out, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the Lamb, to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you 
and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, heaven were following Him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh, He has this name written, King of Kings. Lord of all lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried to a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather yourself for the great feast, the supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals, mighty men of horses, their riders, the flesh of all people, free, slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war. But the beast was captured. The false prophet who performed the miraculous signs. With the signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. There's a lot of you in this room, you have no idea what that means. It makes no difference to you. But there's an old hymn that says this. It says, Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drowns all music but His own. Awake my soul and sing of Him who died for thee and hail Him as thy matchless King through all eternity. Crown Him the Lord of life who triumphed o'er the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those He came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Crown Him the Lord of Lord. Behold His hand inside. Those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified all hell redeemer hell for thou hast died for me thy praise shall not fail throughout eternity let us not grow weary in well doing James chapter 1 verse 12 that crown that crown you and I will place at the feet of Jesus I off. I said, uh, I said that's not right. That, that that's offensive. That's wrong. You know. And I began to talk to him. And I had a track in my hand. And I and I and I tried to give him that track, and he slapped my hand down. And before long, there were about ten young men all around me. And he slapped that track out of my hand. I reached down. It was about midnight, because that's how long the revival had lasted, till about Sheila, about eleven o'clock. 
That's when you used to have some real revivals. I reached down, I picked up that track, tried to hand it to him again. And he looked at me and said, look, he said, look, you better get out of here. You better get out of here. You better leave while you got a chance. And I took that track and I set it on that gas pump. And then I put my hand on his shoulder and he pulled his arm back. And I put my hand on his shoulder again. And, and these young men are around me. And I said, I got a feeling that somewhere you had an old grandma that loved you. And I said, I got a feeling she's dead now. She's on the other side. And I believe her heart is breaking. That young, look, that young man looked at me and the anger dissolved off his face. He looked at me as, as, as if, how do you know that? And I squeezed his shoulder and I said, I said, you read that track. Those other young men were still standing around me like they wanted to fight. But this young man, God was getting a hold of him. I got ready to leave and I walked around. When I opened my vehicle door, one of them hollered out and said, said to me these words. He said, why don't you just give it up? Close the door, walk back around. I said, I'll never, I'll never give it up. We jumped back in the car. We took off down Highway 18. Some of those young men got in a vehicle and they, they looked like they were doing about 90 miles an hour and they came screeching up right behind us, flashing their lights as if they were going to run me off the road. And then they pulled around me and left. And I thought to myself, you have no idea the armies of heaven that are right now around this vehicle. I'll, I'll never, I'll never give up. And my friend, it's a quality that the enemy is trying to destroy in your life. And you and I need to make a statement today boldly to God and boldly to our enemy. We'll never give up. No matter what happens. Tim Tebow will be a better man. He'll be a better man. Let's pray together. Our heavenly